Hi everybody, and welcome back to the next installment of the Rocky Mountain Myrick Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hofberg, and today we are joined by Dr. Lindsay Monteith. Lindsay, as you may remember her from previous episodes, is a clinical research psychologist here with the Rocky Mountain Myrick and an investigator who's studying a lot of women veterans and women's health issues, and we're really excited to have you back on the show today, Lindsay, so welcome. Thank you, Adam. I'm delighted to be back here. Great. Um, So just to get us started, I know you've been very busy traveling on the road, presenting, and lots of uh, progress in your work. Can you kind of give us an update since we uh, last spoke? Sure, yeah. It's been a few years since um, we last talked about some of the work that I've been doing here on military sexual trauma. Um, And since then, I've been working on a couple of different qualitative projects um, focused on understanding the lived experience of military sexual trauma. Um, And that's been among both women and men. Also trying to understand more about among survivors of military sexual trauma, what factors are associated with risk for suicidal ideation as well as suicide attempts. I see. And let's just uh, start with the basics. Can you walk us through what is military sexual trauma? I know that word gets thrown around a lot and just want to make sure everyone's on the same page with what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, so military sexual trauma, or um, it's often abbreviated as MST for short, it's a a term that was uh, congressionally defined. Um, It's typically used in the Department of Veterans Affairs, and it refers broadly to military sexual assault or repeated sexual harassment that occurred um, during an individual's military service. You've mentioned a lot of your work is focused on the relationship between military sexual trauma and suicide risk. Can you tell us a little bit about what we know? Sure. So some of my work is focused on um, MST, and um, I I should have mentioned more specifically suicidal ideation, which is a a different construct than suicide specifically, but it's still relevant nonetheless. And so some of that work has found that MST is associated with being more likely to experience suicidal ideation, um, even after accounting for things like symptoms of depression and PTSD, and also that there are certain types of military sexual trauma that seem to be more strongly associated with suicidal ideation. Um, so things like a sexual assault as opposed to um, some instances of sexual harassment. I also think it's really important to mention some of the other research that's been conducted nationally um, since I last spoke with you a few years ago. Um, in particular, there's been one study that was population-based study of VHA users and found that screening positive for military sexual trauma was associated with significantly elevated risk for dying by suicide. That was among both female and male veterans, and that was after accounting for a pretty broad range of risk factors, including uh, medical morbidity as well as many different psychiatric factors. So there's been accumulating um, and fairly strong evidence since we last spoke that military sexual trauma is associated with risk for suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, and suicide, and that this appears to be the case for both women and men. That's very helpful. So one can see that it's a very significant issue, and we need to address it from all angles, prevention, support afterwards. Uh, Maybe let's start with prevention. What can we do to help move the needle on preventing military sexual trauma and other uh, sexual violence from occurring in the first place? Prevention is something that's very important to talk about. So um, on the DOD end of things, they've been doing a lot on the prevention side. So the Department of Defense 
specifically has a sexual assault prevention and response office that has implemented a lot of different initiatives to try to prevent sexual assault and sexual harassment. Um, these include some things like changing the culture, more training for people to recognize when that's happening and how to intervene, as well as trying to increase uh, services that are available for people who experience that. But I think if we want to take an analogy kind of in line with the VA uh, National Suicide Prevention Strategy that was released earlier this summer, that kind of talks about how suicide prevention is everyone's responsibility. So not just focusing on suicide prevention in specifically the realm of mental health, but broadening it to a public health approach. And I would say that actually with sexual violence, which we know to be a really extensive issue that disproportionately affects women in particular, that in order to really change that, not specific to military sexual trauma, but sexual violence more broadly, that we probably need a similar approach and also need to be thinking about it in terms of it kind of being everyone's responsibility, that everyone can do something to either try to prevent that from happening or to try to respond in a manner that's more supportive towards uh, recovery for people who experience sexual violence. Mm -hmm. That really resonated with me about this idea of shifting the culture and making it really a part of the fabric of our society about prevention. And um, can you give us a, uh, some ideas of what, what we can do to help shift that culture? Absolutely. So I think for one, I think we need to create a culture where it is safe for um, people to talk about sexual violence for survivors to feel safe coming forward and talking about what they've experienced um, and to do so without worrying about the repercussions or being blamed or pretend, potentially experiencing retribution. We know that sexual assault survivors tend to already grapple with self-blame and that that can be some, something that deters them from speaking out and talking about what they've experienced. On the other hand, at the same time, I've conducted some research and others have as well that has found that for survivors who are able to, to speak out about what they've experienced and then also receive supportive responses from others, that they oftentimes report experiencing trajectories that are very different. So I think whatever we can do to facilitate that happening as a culture is important. So you mentioned that uh, supporting someone who's been through an experience like this can really uh, sometimes impact their trajectory and promote recovery and healing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that work? Sure. So I think it's important to kind of preface that with mentioning that some of the work that I've done is qualitative, and part of that is due to the fact that I think we can learn a tremendous amount from hearing from survivors themselves and about their own experiences. Um, so in some of that research that that I led here, survivors of military sexual trauma reported different types of outcomes. So some reported secrecy, that they never disclosed to anyone what they had experienced, and that the weight of what they'd experienced seemed to take a toll over time. So some of those people who had uh, never disclosed to anybody for years or even decades reported things like coping with substance use, um, becoming homeless later, and really struggling for a very long time. Some other people reported that they did disclose what they'd experienced to others, whether fellow service members, people in their command, or, or others outside in the civilian world, and 
of those people, we heard basically two things. So the vast majority reported um, some fairly negative experiences that were in themselves sometimes just as traumatizing or more traumatizing as the sexual violence that they'd experienced. Um, these could include things like being blamed for what they'd experienced, being questioned about the accuracy of it, or, or being told to kind of just to, to leave it alone you know, or, or not to affect, not to report it because that would have such a detrimental impact on the person who had um, done that to them and so forth. And then some people just reported uh, kind of losing additional trust in the organization which they served, as well as in, in other people that they are around due to some of those reactions. Mm. Um, and then the kind of the last group, which were a minority in, in our sample, reported that they had shared what they had experienced with others and had actually received responses that were really empowering and really supportive. And one thing that we noticed is that sexual assault survivors and, or sexual violence survivors in particular um, who experienced those more supportive, positive responses, if you will, seem to report better outcomes down the road. They seem to report less severe negative outcomes over time. Mm, so it sounds like the way that we react and respond to somebody disclosing uh, really impacts them. It, that seems to be the case, yes. And there, there have also been other quantitative studies that have shown that basically the interpersonal or broader institutional reactions to sexual violence are associated with different mental health outcomes down the road. Mm. And so when we think about what people can do societally to, you know, support sexual violence um, survivors, I think one thing is really thinking about if someone is disclosing to you that they've experienced sexual assault um, or sexual harassment, what is the potential impact of your response on, on that person? Yeah, can you, can you keep going with that? How can we really support this, this safe space to, to feel comfortable disclosing and to really, you know, empower anyone who's experienced this to, to really uh, feel like they can speak up? I think the first thing that we can do is to believe people when they report that they've experienced sexual violence. Rather than, than questioning their motivations for sharing it, really just coming from a place of believing them and, and trying to respond in a really compassionate way. Even if someone can't understand what it's like to have experienced that, just coming from a place of wanting to understand and, and, and believing them, I think it will go a long way. Mm, that's really helpful because, you know, being in the room and being with someone through that, we want to support them, but sometimes we may not know exactly how. So um, it's really helpful to hear about just kind of like believing them and kind of just taking it in, but not pretending like you fully understand it. Yeah. I, I, I'm struggling a little bit, but can you go into to that a little bit more? So I think historically sexual violence is something that can be really difficult for people to talk about, whether they're a survivor or whether they're someone who has not experienced that, but who is really trying to understand the other person's perspective. And I think it can be a difficult conversation for people to have because it can also cause people to question some of their pre-existing beliefs. So I'm very curious in your qualitative interviews, if you have any anecdotes that you could share with us about maybe helpful responses and reactions when someone uh, was courageous enough to disclose, and maybe also an example of things not to say or uh, a situation where that really didn't help the person feel safe. 
Yeah, um, I can I can speak kind of broadly so that I don't sort of accidentally betray any any confidences or, or confidentiality. Pardon me, but I think one I recall specifically one person um, talking about how someone's response had been, "I believe you," and I've actually experienced that, and just kind of knowing that she wasn't alone in that. And also to be believed all at the same time and that that person was going to try to help her by talking about different options out there and and to try to help her in the moment from just kind of dealing with that situation and, and not having it escalate. So I would say one of the most important things is giving people choice and letting them kind of empowering them to figure out how they want to proceed. So we know that in the Department of Defense, people can file a report if they would like to do so, and that sexual assault reports can be made in a restricted or unrestricted way, so in an anonymous way versus not. And then um, really trying to carry forward the ability for people to choose on their own if they want to disclose whom they disclose to, whether they want to pursue treatment where, with whom, you know, of what, which gender provider, and so forth. Those are really things that are also embodied um, within the, the VA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched on uh, some of the gender roles that might come up or um, the potential discomfort around discussing this. How can men support women in this issue and, and also vice versa? I think that is an excellent question. So for a long time, some of the champions of you know, supporting women who've experienced sexual violence have been other women themselves. But I would say that women, many of us invite other men to the table and that it's very, very important to have allies in this. And one thing that we also know is that um, men are not immune to experiencing sexual violence. So although women disproportionately experience sexual violence, not this is not just um, veterans and service members, but women in general across the world, Men also experience sexual assaults and sexual harassment. So how do we have more conversations about this? I would say, one, <laughs> just being willing to have that conversation, even if it puts you in, a, in an uncomfortable space or gets you thinking about things in a different way. And then, two, really being able to, willing to listen to each other mm-hmm. is, is the place to start. Yeah, I love that idea of us all being allies. And it comes back to what you were saying at the beginning about this public health model where everyone's involved, everyone's a part of this. It's everyone's responsibility and we all can be part of that culture shift. Absolutely. And I think also knowledge um, is something that can be empowering in and of itself. So both women and men understanding the extent to which sexual violence occurs and then also the effect it can have, but also Um, treatments that are available for survivors, both women and men. Sure. I think that's a great segue to tell us a little bit more about the depth of this issue. I mean, how prevalent is this sort of experience? And um, also a great opportunity to talk about what services and um, treatments and supports are out there for people who may have gone through something uh, involving uh, military sexual trauma or just generally speaking. I'll kind of speak in terms of what we know within the the VA, since that's where I work and that's where many, many resources are offered. Um, So in the VA, all veterans are screened for military sexual trauma um, at least once. That's per federal mandate. Those rates are, those reports are updated every year. And so the most recent reports suggested that nationally over one in four women and roughly uh, one in a hundred men had screened positive for military sexual trauma. 
And there's some research to suggest that those are underestimates that people tend to underreport due to um, stigma or just they're not ready to, to kind of share that yet. Um, in terms of what resources are out there, so there are a lot. Um, so in the VA, anytime someone screens positive for military sexual trauma, that is intended to be an opportunity for them to be referred to the MST coordinator um, should they desire that to happen. Um, so there, to my knowledge, there is an MST coordinator at every VA medical center facility who is an expert on what resources are available to support uh, survivors in their recovery, as well as to answer questions about the disability process. Um, there are different MST support groups available in VA facilities as well as in uh, vet centers. Some of those, I believe, are also specific to women versus men, depending on the setting. There's also um, an MST support team in the VA, which is a fantastic resource available for providers who have questions about um, best ways to support the veterans whom they serve. It's very helpful information, and we'll make sure that we include links out to, to some of these resources so folks can, can take a closer look. I also wanted to ask you, you know, to any uh, survivors of sexual trauma listening today, uh, what would be a good message for them, and what would you like to say? Yeah, I think um, that they're not alone, that there are people willing to listen, people who want to listen and who want to help them, and that healing is possible. So you mentioned earlier that all veterans that come through the VA healthcare system get screened for MST, but you also mentioned that you know it's often underreported or not everyone might be ready to talk about it or disclose. What happens then? That's okay. If people, many people um, can be at places in their lives where maybe they're, they're not ready in that specific situation to disclose or don't feel like they have established the rapport level of trust needed with a, a certain provider yet to feel comfortable sharing that. That is their choice. And so one of the, in my opinion, great things about the VMST screen is there is also an explicit option of de decline to respond. Um, and that kind of flags the provider that they should consider um, rescreening that person later down the road. Because one thing that we certainly don't want to do is force anyone to divulge something that they're not ready to, to divulge yet. If we're talking about trying to operate in a more trauma-informed environment and, and to empower survivors, part of that involves just giving them more choice and putting the power back in their hands. So I understand you've been giving some trainings that are available online for free to anyone, both inside and outside of the VA. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about these trainings and um, why folks should check them out? Sure. So um, the National MST Support Team invited the Suicide Risk Management consult service here at the Rocky Mountain RIREC. Um, so that's co-directed by Drs. Monterazzo and Wurzel. Basically invited them to do a two-part presentation on therapeutic risk management with military sexual trauma survivors. And so I had the opportunity to be involved with them in our part one presentation, which was last month, so in September. Um, and then we will be concluding with part two, um, actually later this week, Thursday, October 4th in which we're basically talking about how do you do suicide uh, therapeutic risk management with survivors of military sexual trauma. So that's for a pretty specific thing. Um, so suicide prevention in this group of veterans or in this population. But also I think it's important to talk kind of more broadly and holistically about healing in general. 
So we know that uh, sexual trauma can affect people in a lot of different ways. So we've been talking about the mind, but it can also affect people's bodies physically and spiritually, as well as pretty substantially in terms of their interpersonal relationships with other people. A lot of our interventions have focused primarily on mental health and PTSD in, in particular, so that's what we know the most about. But I would say that V provides free MST-related care to survivors, um, and it's not necessarily specific to mental health if it's related to MST. I would invite survivors to kind of explore with their providers or, or with kind of their loved ones the ways in which sexual violence has affected them and to really think about kind of holistically what would be important to them in their path to healing mm-hmm. and then advocating for that. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. I really feel like um, this is such a timely topic. I'm so glad we got a chance to touch in with you about all of uh, the progress and work going on in this area. And um, do you have any thoughts you want to leave our listeners with for today? I just want to thank you, Adam, for for having me here uh, back here again. It's been great to talk with you. And I just want to, you know, kind of invite everyone to to begin a broader conversation about how we as a society can help survivors in supporting them and also more broadly in preventing sexual violence from occurring in the first place. I think that in order to really maximize our suicide prevention efforts, that that's going to be a key component of it. And um, as you've said a few times, part of us helping move that needle is listening and believing and supporting folks when they do come forward. And uh, I want to thank you again for joining us. Welcome. Thanks, Adam. Great. Well, listeners, that's going to do it for this special episode. Um, We invite you to check out the links, all of the trainings that are going to be available for free online, as well as some of the uh, articles and research that Lindsay's referred to um, today. And as always, we invite you with any questions or comments to drop us a line. We really want to hear your feedback. And if you like what you're listening to, give us a review or a rating on your podcast service just so other folks can find us more easily. Until next time, this has been the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention Podcast. Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program provides free one-on-one consultation for any provider, both community and VA, who serves veterans at risk for suicide. For more information about this program and to check out all our resources, please visit the consult page at www.myrec.va.gov slash visn19 slash consult. To initiate a consult, please email srmconsult at va.gov. Hashtag never worry alone.